Welcome to the Clear the Shelf podcast with Chris and Chris, the show that meets at the intersection of education and entertainment to discuss online arbitrage, retail arbitrage, wholesale, and all facets of selling on Amazon. We'll bring you news, tactics, strategies, insights, stories, and interviews to help you grow your Amazon business. And now, here are your hosts, Chris Grant and Chris Rasick. Welcome back to the Clear the Shelf podcast. Uh, before we get started, I, I do owe everyone a, a bit of an apology. We've had a, a little bit of an extended absence behind the mic, which is uh, uh, it's my fault. It's Mother Nature's fault. I, I don't know where we want to lay the blame, but we, we had a little bit of a hurricane come through uh, Florida and it threw our schedule a bit off, but we're back at it tonight and uh, hopefully... Uh, you know, as long as the weather co- cooperates the rest of this year, we, we shouldn't have any days off. Um, now, as usual, I am joined by my percipient co-host, Chris Rasick. Uh, appreciate you being here tonight, man. Uh, and uh, today we're going to be discussing seven habits of highly effective Amazon sellers. Now, of course, we can't cover all of the habits that you might need as an Amazon seller, but... I do think there are some powerful habits that you can take away from uh, this episode and at least have in your toolkit or add to your current toolkit uh, to become an effective or a more effective Amazon seller. Uh, But before we dive into these seven habits, we want to welcome back to the show Jeff Schick Esquire uh, for a little segment that we've started known as the Amazon Law Review. All right, so back for another round of the Amazon Law Review. We've got Jeff Schick. Jeff is uh, Jeff is remote this time around from the far reaches of India. Uh, Jeff, I know you were there to uh, speak at a conference, right? That is correct. So while I'm here speaking at a conference, my team is hard at work with Q4 issues. We've got suspensions, IP claims going on in the states, and then I'm over here you know, lecturing about uh, preventing all those things. And, uh, yeah, and of course, having an interesting time. So that, um, yeah, over here in New Delhi, India right now. Ah, very cool. Uh, uh, India is on my bucket list. So I, I definitely want to get over there. I hope that you get a little bit of time to go out and sightsee before you have to come home. Uh, that is tomorrow. So oh, we're, tomorrow nice. is our sightseeing day. So Oh, nice. Well, so. I know that I know you've got a bit of a bombshell to drop tonight, but before we do that, uh, I'd like to just briefly touch on something that you actually posted last week about the the Nike TROs uh, and kind of maybe give everybody a really quick update on what's going on there. All right. So uh, good news is, is that Nike has, you know, fixed the issues. You know, what they had done is... Um, they're perpetually trying to clean up the sales channel. And by clean up the sales channel, I don't mean remove unauthorized sellers. They don't even use that vocabulary uh, in their lawsuit. They do use the term unauthorized users of Nike trademarks, and that's because that means counterfeiters. So what they've been doing is targeting uh, counterfeiters. In fact, as they believed most of the counterfeiters within their lawsuit reside in the People's Republic of China, uh, this is not a targeted, this is not an enforcement effort. This is not any um conspiracy to remove sellers from selling nike products that are legitimate and lawfully acquired but what it is an effort is to get rid of people selling counterfeit nike products um you know fakes so awesome Uh, so as of you know as of today that's that's been resolved for for my clients so anyone that reached out to me we took care of it for them and they're you know as long as they supplied proper documentation could prove that it was authentic they're back in business wow that's killer news man i actually so I kind of like Nike's uh, way. I, I like the way that they go about this. I, I, I know that they they don't want inauthentic items, you know, a- anywhere, uh, and especially Amazon. Of course, that that could hurt the brand, uh, you know, over time. Uh, I know that they kind of want to control their supply chain a little bit more. Like they want to be more direct to consumer, and they're getting out of some of the brick and mortar, you know, shops, but they're not going after the legit third-party sellers. And if, I guess if all brands would, would go that route, I'd actually kind of like it. Absolutely, yeah. They're doing, you know, they're doing what responsible brand owners would do, which is going after people selling counterfeits. Um, and they're doing what responsible um, business partners do, which is not going after people who sell their products, even if they're not quote unquote authorized by the brand. 
So, mm -hmm. and there seems to be no indication right now that they're planning on going after sellers for, you know, selling retail arbitrage, online arbitrage, Nike. Yeah, that's, that's good to know. And I know that, I know we can only speculate, but I wonder, uh, you know, like how much of that was maybe in the agreement where Amazon and Nike kind of broke up their first party relationship or, you know, if it was even discussed or, or anything like that. You mean as far as like who selling counterfeits or enforcement or what, what do you mean? Or like, like it being okay that third party sellers sell legit Nike branded items. That way it wasn't just a complete annihilation of a massive brand. I, I don't know. I'm not certain that Amazon would want to put that in writing, to be quite honest, you know, as much as we want to think that they would care about that. I'm not sure that Amazon would make that a priority for them. And I can't see a brand giving up that level of control over their brand mm -hmm. going forward. So I, I, I don't know that that's the case, I think. But of course, what we are seeing is them going after counterfeit sellers, which they've been doing for years. I mean, yeah. I remember the you know, they had a lawsuit against counterfeiters. The first big one that I remember was back in, uh, uh, I want to say it must have been June of 2020. Um, in fact, I did a video on it, if you remember, where mm -hmm. I went to a Nike store because, um, you know, people were speculating that R the OA or RA for Nike was dead. And I went to a store and I used my sales tax exemption and they let me buy, you know, products, sales tax free. To, and I told them I was going to sell them on, on Amazon. They said, come back and you can buy five of each pair. And <laughs> that was it. So, yeah, you know, and seems to still be the case. You know, store managers are still welcoming Nike sellers or you know, Nike resellers into their stores. Nice. That's great. Well, so I don't take up too much of your time because I can only imagine what time it is in in India. It, uh, it is let's... two fifty six in the morning. Oh, but I thought yeah. this was important, so I wanted to to share it with you. So, so you, you said you had a drop a bombshell you wanted to drop. Let go ahead and lay it on me, man. All right. So while I was here, I um, uh, obviously I was speaking at one of the, the conferences here. And after I was speaking, I had two gentlemen approach me and they said they wanted to talk um, and they motioned. They're like, let's go talk in the hallway. We think this is interesting. I said, OK, sure. And uh, lo and behold, they work for Amazon and they uh, or, you know, had their Amazon, their Amazon employees and they wanted to share, just, just know who I was and just share some insights with me. And they just mm -hmm. thought it was interesting. So they, uh, you know, they, they shared quite a few little tidbits. I was able to talk to them just to learn, you know, well, what's the process like? So to put it in perspective, they didn't just work for Amazon. One of them was on the, what do you, what apparently appears to be some sort of hybrid seller uh, performance, seller support team, where he actually you know, handled everything from inbound cases on, you know, missing products or, you know, feedback removal all the way to cases about, you know, reading appeals mm -hmm. um, and listing suspensions and things like that. The other agent uh, was a much higher level seller uh, performance representative. And so he, he was, you know, dedicated seller performance. And he said he handled, you know, very major cases uh, when, when there were invest major investigations that had to be done. Um, that one, that, that, that gentleman was obviously very interesting to talk to, but I'd say the more interesting person to talk to was the person who was, you know, the, the hybrid seller support agent. And that's because the information he shared, um, and, you know, I'll, I'll preface this with it. You know, he voluntarily shared the information. There was no, you know, didn't ask him to share anything that he wasn't supposed to share. So, um, he, he just, you know, was trying to provide educational value and, and so mm -hmm. I think it was interesting. So I was able to ask him questions about how the process works and what things look like. Um, and one of the things that we talked about, as I said, so, you know, he, you know, I said, let's take this fictional case that you've got, you know, somebody puts in a, a feedback removal request. He, I was like, you've dealt with those. And he goes, of course I have. I said, what happens if they said that uh, the product was fake and the seller's asking for that feedback to be removed? He goes, well, we would have to verify why that's the case. I go, so what do you mean by that? He goes, well, if somebody wants us to remove feedback like that, we're probably going to deny it. But even more so, I'm probably going to ask my manager to investigate it because mm -hmm. if a customer is writing feedback that the product's fake, I would want to make sure that the seller's not selling fake product. I go, that's really interesting. He goes, yeah. And if we found out that they were selling fake product, then that would mean I'd escalate it to what they call the TRMS team, which is one of the 
actual seller performance investigators. So that way they can make a final determination. And I go, so what does that look like? He goes, well, we just send them an email and say, here's this seller with their seller ID. And we think they should be suspended because of this. And then off the email goes, and then somebody else takes over the case from there. Hmm. So it, uh, it goes to demonstrate, you know, I've been talking a lot over the past few years. I always say, you know, for instance, especially in Q4, you know, you don't raise little issues in Q4. So, oh, I'm missing one unit of product that's costing me $4. Yeah, probably not gonna open a ticket for that, you know? Mm -hmm. But even more so now, because you open the ticket for the $1 that's missing and he starts doing, you know, that investigator starts doing some research and they're like, oh, well, you've claimed, you know, these other units that were missing. And then they start to, you know, build a pattern, even if it's not true. And you end up with that dreaded 72 hour notice or the notice of suspension. And at the end of the day, it was self-inflicted because right. you asked them, you know, you brought it to their attention. Interesting. Interesting. I wonder, yeah, I mean, that's, that makes Amazon a little more scary, but again, you know, it's not like we're seeing a ton of people getting suspended for, you know, trying to get feedback removed. Uh, right. I wonder, did he, did he mention like how often it turns from, uh, you know, uh, asking for something to be removed into uh, a much larger scale investigation or anything like that. He, he seemed to say that it, I mean, he made it sound like that was very, very few and far between, you know, the vast majority of sellers are good people. And mm -hmm. he, he was very adamant that, you know, sellers are, you know, he doesn't, they don't necessarily view them as just a number and they actually do view them as, you know, business partners. And so that was just, you know, most of the time they never find anything that goes wrong, but every once in a while they do find it. And, and that's when they, uh, you know, they have to take action. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, I think that's a solid thing. You know, it, it, it might scare a seller here and there who's listening, but on the other hand, uh, it seems that Amazon actually wants to have a trustworthy marketplace, which is not only good for the customer, but you know, in turn, it ends up being good for the seller, especially if we can get any, you know, bad actors off the platform. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, every bad actor on the platform makes it harder for, you know, honest, good people to do business on the platform mm -hmm. because every scam artist that comes up with the next great Amazon scam scheme of how they're going to steal money from Amazon or game the system or mess up reviews or anything like that just makes it harder for you know, people like you and me to sell on the platform and make money because now we've got extra rules, extra burdens, you know, and, and, and it's just more difficult. So yeah, anything that they can do to make, to, to get rid of those types of people is obviously a welcome change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me, while I've got you, and I don't want to take too long cause yeah. I know it's, it's late, but while I've got you, I'm curious if you have any thoughts about uh, maybe what's going on at IND4 and, or if you've heard about it, but tons of people seem to be just sending in inventory into a black hole. Uh, so one, have you heard about it? And two, uh, is there any recourse for sellers? I have heard about it. And um, obviously there is recourse for sellers in the form of reimbursements. If Amazon loses your inventory, they, you know, per, per the business solutions agreement and all the policies, they have to reimburse you for it. So I, you know, I recommend if sellers want to do it themselves, you can do it yourself. If you want to use a reimbursement service, you know, for the next go around at it, then by all means, you know, sign up for a reimbursement service. If that mm -hmm. still doesn't work, then, um, you know, we've started, you know, getting involved in these cases as well. And so that's, you know, something that we're able to help some of our clients with too. Um, and so that's just, you know, it's something that we've been unfortunately having to deal with because it'd be nice if Amazon just did it right from the beginning. So we didn't have to deal with it. So, yeah, such, such a large machine. It's hard for every, uh, every cog to be in the right place all the time. Uh, I think if I keep making it expensive for them, they'll fix it. <laughs> so, I hope so. Because, because at the end of the day, the people that are rejecting the, uh, rejecting the invoices and saying that store receipts aren't good enough, um, is actually quite interesting. They get paid, as I learned, they get paid uh, $2,500 a month, us dollars and a month in India which is an extremely good salary for um, someone living in um, Hyderabad. Yeah. But uh, 
when I have when we send it to to Amazon's legal teams and it's costing them twenty five hundred dollars a case, yeah, <laughs> they're not going to want to do this too much longer. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's great. That's awesome. You're uh, doing a heck of a service. So, uh, I like I said, I don't want to keep you too awful long, uh, guys. If you want to learn more about what Jeff does, Jeff is an attorney. He handles Amazon sellers. Uh, make sure to check out jeffschick.com. Uh, he happens to be my attorney that I keep on retainer uh, and everything that we say off air has client attorney privilege, uh, just so you guys know. But uh, uh, thanks so much for coming on again for uh, for an episode of the uh, the Amazon Law Review. Jeff, I appreciate you taking the time and staying up so late in India to do that for me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on here. I, I'm glad to share the information. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, absolutely, man. Always. Always a pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Back to uh, back to the seven habits of a highly effective Amazon seller. The the very first one uh, is always be learning. Uh, and I know that this is probably something that's fairly close to both Chris's and I's heart. Uh, we're both, uh, we seem to be habitual learners. It's, it's uh, I don't know, it's almost a sickness, I would say, uh, between books and podcasts and blogs and things like that. Uh, it certainly can, it can divert the focus a little bit, but you know, we know that selling on Amazon is not necessarily rocket surgery, but you're always able to, to pick up a new skill, uh, you're, a new way to think about the platform or why Amazon might be doing something, uh, or your kind of your ability to read between the lines of, uh, what I like to call Amazon speak. There's always a new strategy or tactic that you can pick up for sourcing. Uh, or if you've been doing it long enough, there's, you know, something might just stick out to you that may not have stuck out previously. Uh, you can always learn something about watching your bottom line, about cash flow, or some other strategy that can be helpful. Uh, and the reason why this is important is because even 1% gains will compound on a long enough timeline. Um, I saw an interesting email today from, uh, I always forget the guy's name, but he runs Buyboxer. Buyboxer is a very large seller on Amazon. And uh, I want to say in 2019, they did something like $68 million in sales on Amazon. Uh, and he shared what their net margin was. Uh, and I want to say it was something, I don't know, I want to say 12% or something like that. Uh, and then the very following year, their sales dropped from that 68 million uh, down to something like 53 million. But his margins increased by a factor, uh, by a fairly large number. And he said that even though our sales were down because our margins were higher, of course, his tax bill to the IRS was was higher that year also. Uh, and it was, you know, it was a good perspective shift because I think a lot of the times when Amazon sellers are, are talking about, you know, next year I'm going to level up, it's not necessarily leveling up the profit margin. It is, I'm always going to level up to the, I'm gonna be a seven figure seller. I'm gonna do 3 million, I'm gonna do 5 million. But you might actually be able to make the same profit if you learn to cushion that margin a little bit. So I thought it was a, and I'm gonna, I got his numbers totally wrong. So if he's listening or if someone fact fact checks me, uh, I apologize. But uh, it was it was kind of a good mindset shift to read that. Yeah, you know, it's a always be learning, and and you know, you talk about like incremental gains or marginal gains. Um, you know, I'm always trying to, I, I read and, and, you know, I study and, and I, I learn because I want to get better. I want to be a better entrepreneur. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, if I could go to bed and wake up the next day, a better entrepreneur than I, than the day before, you know, those are essentially those marginal gains or incremental gains. Um, and I, it might've been, it, it might've been a couple episodes since we've mentioned James Clear. So we're certainly due. Um, but the, the best example uh, that I can remember of getting 1% better uh, and the impact of compounded uh, incremental improvements uh, is that story that he told in, in Atomic Habits of the British Cycling Club. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember I was blown away uh, when he told that. You know, basically, like in summary, if you haven't read the book, um, not only should you, but I'll, I'll give you a summary uh, of it. 
um, essentially like the, the British cycling team was like historically bad. Like it was, it was a joke. Um, you know, I think it was something they like over the course of almost a hundred years, they had exactly one gold medal in cycling. Uh, and then they had zero tour de France wins, which is, is the, the, the main cycling tournament. Um, they had zero wins over 110 years, right? And it was so bad that, that even certain bicycle companies refused to uh, sell them bikes. You know, they mm -hmm. didn't want their name associated with, with the British cycling team. That's how bad it was. So, um, so in 2003, um, they hired a guy named Dave Brailsford. Um, and he was hired with the intent of changing the, the, the mindset and changing, turning everything upside down and, and you know, uh, pumping new life uh, in, into the British cycling. So um, it's really interesting what he did. Um, it's a, I won't even get to everything on the list, but he basically every single day they looked for small improvements that they could make uh, with the cycling team. Um, and it was no detail was too small. You know, I, I mean, we're talking like they, they redesigned the bike seats. Um, they tested massage gels to, to see which one um, had better muscle recovery for their athletes. Um, they used heated shorts to try to maintain the temperatures in their leg muscles. Um, they, you know, of course, there were biosensors. Uh, they even hired a doctor uh, to, to teach them how to properly wash their hands so they could avoid getting ill. <laughs> um, you know, pillows and mattresses to get the best sleep. Uh, and and the one <laughs> the one example of how uh, you know how anal retentive they, uh, they were about this. They even painted the inside of their um, trucks that they, they transported the bikes. They painted the inside white so that they could spot dust better and, and to keep it from deteriorating uh, uh, the equipment. So that's how, but it was, it was of course, it was every single day, you know, and that's the, the big thing about Atomic Habits is it's all about the process, you know, and it's mm -hmm. about consistency and, and, you know, the, the steps, it's not the goal itself, you know, it, it, it's the steps getting you there and the consistency in the steps. So, um, so of course the, the, you know, the, the big payoff on the story is in, in 2008 at, at the Beijing Olympics, um, they won 60% of the gold medals that were available in cycling. Oh, so that's, that's crazy. Five years after this guy's hired, that's, that's how far that, that team went in, in five year period. And then, um, a member of the British cycling team, um, his name was Bradley Wiggins. He won the tour de France that year. Um, so that's, that's how impactful, you know, five years of incremental gains, uh, was and that's I, I was blown away when I read that part of the book. Like I said, you know, it was just. But what a great example! What you know, real world oh, example yeah. of of how important just minor improvements can be over a long enough timeline. Yeah, and 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 the timeline is not really as long as you might think it has to be. You know, I mean, it only took it only took them five years to go from. Uh, yeah, essentially, I mean, one gold medal since 1908, no wins in 110 years. It only took them five years to get back to a spot where they were absolutely crushing it. That's, that's right. crazy to me. And, you know, so. think about it because, you you know, you that that much of a drought, you know, to, to be that bad, you know, the cycling team, you almost assume that when you bring somebody in, it's almost like the next generation of riders that are going to have to come in. You almost think it's, it's, you know, like an attitude shift and like a recruitment kind of thing of younger cyclists, you mm -hmm. know, and try to, and trying to groom them as they get older, but only five years, that's, these are the same guys, you know, a lot of the same guys had to be on that team. You know, there's no way they turned over the entire roster in, in simply five years. So that's proof of the improvements themselves, you know, rather than, you know, I mean, you can't just, you know, there's only so much you can do to make them, uh, you know, more talented, you know? Oh yeah. So, so, and now this is, this is just a bit of an aside. Okay. Uh, but there is a member of the British cycling team now, uh, and I've caught him on social media here and there. His name's Robert, uh, Forsterman is his name. Uh, and on social media, he goes by the, by the name Quadzilla, uh, because <laughs> the dude has, I mean, these, massive quads on him. Uh, and I saw a video of him putting out like 700 pounds of torque or something, uh, when he was, uh, when he was, you know, out of the starting gate on his bicycle. 
uh, it was it's insane to watch. It's nuts. <laughs> I think I've had cars that couldn't push that much. Right. Now, what's the second rule or the second highly effective habit? Uh, this one might might hurt a little bit, but uh, <laughs> uh, the second one we want to cover is is to seek and welcome uh, constructive criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, basically, if you can gather people that you respect and and ask them to offer feedback on your process and, and goals and ideas, uh, business strategies, uh, you know, et cetera. If you kind of open up, you know, uh, peel back the curtain and let them take a look, um, and and then take what they have to say without offense and and implement, you know, what the improvements that make sense to you, you'll be able to grow a lot faster. You know, it, it's the, that, that extra set of eyes, you know, it, mm-hmm. it is pretty important. Um, you know, the it, natural segue uh, into this is networking, you know, that that's, we've talked about that before and, and how important that can be. Um, you know, th- this can be an isolated uh, business if you let it, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't lend itself to um, being around your peers too much, you know, and, uh, unless you see another reseller in the aisle and that doesn't always go well in store, but uh, as far as like, yeah. Yeah. So it, you know, it doesn't, um, yeah, it's not a natural thing to, uh, to, to be able to talk to peers. You know, Mm -hmm. I've said that before. That's, that's why I love being able to talk to you. And, and, you know, even if we didn't record this, you know, I'd still want to, uh, chop it up with you. You know, there, there's a ton of value on a personal level, even, Mm -hmm. you know, hopefully it's, Hopefully we're helping the audience too a little bit, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I if hope there so. wasn't, I won't lie and say there isn't self interest in it too. Yeah, it's. I think I don't know. Th- this is one of the really important ones to me, and I, I know that I know that you have a mastermind, and uh, and I'm you know I want to get. I know we've talked about it before, but I kind of want to rehash that a little bit. And uh, you know, I, I've I've got people that I do this with as well. Uh, you know, I'll ask you for your opinion. Uh, you know, I've got people who I know are, are smarter than both of us by a long shot, uh, that I'm lucky enough to be able to, to chat with. And, and I've just asked straight out, you know, Hey guys, punch some holes in this. Uh, tell me what I'm doing wrong. Tell me what I'm doing right. Uh, I've gone as far as, you know, asking, you know, what my weaknesses are, what my strengths are. And, uh, one of the things that I have always asked is, you know, what, what do you think my habit stack is, or my, uh, sorry, my, my strength stack. Uh, I'm sure you're probably, you're familiar with Scott. I can't remember his last name, but the creator of Dilbert. And he talks about having a skill stack, uh, to be able to kind of set you apart a little bit. Now I've asked, you know, what people thought my skill stack was so that I could make sure that my idea and, and, you know, their ideas were similar or the same. Uh, and it's been, incredibly constructive uh especially if you can yeah especially if you can take it from people you respect and you know you aren't gonna get your feelings hurt by it um but i'm curious like with your mastermind how has that helped and uh you know yeah it's been it's been great and and it continues to um help me improve um in even new ways we're we've been doing it for uh, uh, I know it's it's definitely more than a year, um, not quite a year and a half, but uh, uh, we've definitely had an anniversary, and uh, we meet every single week, um, and uh, we're actually setting new records for length of meeting uh, recently, which uh, <laughs> it was a part of the plan. Like I don't I don't want them to run three hours every time, but uh, but we're we're really they're three hours long because we're really getting into uh, some constructive stuff, and and you know a lot of people are. are are learning things um, where, you know, you'd be hard pressed to figure out where you would get that education elsewhere, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's, I used um, uh, BOPUS, buy online, pick up in store as kind of like the the theme of the mastermind. That, that was kind of mm-hmm. like, um, that was the, the place setting that we used for it. Um, because I wanted to, you know, not only is that a, a strategy that I like a lot, um, uh, I think it's an emerging um, sourcing method. You know, I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, stores were forced to adopt it, uh, you know, through the pandemic. It was becoming a thing before and then, you know, kind of ramped up uh, with the pandemic. And uh, but it can be it can be a very effective strategy um, as far as sourcing. Um, so I kind of use that as the the, the vehicle uh, to get us there and and we successfully gathered a, a diverse group of sellers. 
you know, there's, um, you know, there's, there's a part-time seller, uh, you know, he's a teacher and he does this part-time, um, you know, there's a newer seller, uh, but she's, she does a really nice volume, um, especially, uh, based on the experience that she has, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm there, I'm a total hack. So, um, and then, uh, <laughs> you know, we got, to, and then we have two experienced, very experienced sellers, um, one does a very high volume and he still does a part-time and then there's a, a, a high volume seller that does it full-time and that's mm-hmm. you know so i mean it's 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 about as good a mix as, as i could have scripted um so and it, it's just a it's a great place uh, you know and we've gotten to know each other you know so there's there, there's certainly familiarity um which helps us open up and and you know but you learn the tendencies you know, especially because we're sharing leads, you know, that's still part of the group, you know, we get mm-hmm. together and we talk about, uh, you know, certain stuff and pain points and, you know, what, whatever's given us a headache at that time. Um, you know, we'll work that sort of stuff out, but we're also sharing leads. So, you know, you can kind of see what, what people go for, you know, and, and we're open with each other and it's like, now, nah, you know what, I'm going to pass on that. You know, I'm not, I'm not getting out of bed for, you know, $4 profit when I could probably only get a dozen or so, you know, it, so it's, um, it, it's a good mix. It's really interesting. And then like specifically the reason that we're, they're running three hours now, the last couple of weeks is we, uh, set up experiments with tactical arbitrage. Oh, nice. Yeah. And, um, so I finally decided, you know, there were, there was, there's a couple people that when the transition happened with three Colts, um, their TA just went haywire and, and they just, they're not getting any results. Um, and so much so, and they're even thinking about like, you know, like quitting using it and, you know, finding an alternative and there's all that sort of talk, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just from, from a couple of them. Um, I haven't had issues um, and I've been able to manage um, everything that, that Three Colts has, has changed and rolled out. Um, and then I found ways to get back to the efficiency that I'm used to with TA, you know, and I've, I'm a full proponent that even even the three Colts version of TA, it's, it's still an incredibly valuable tool to my business. Right. Um, and I've maintained that and not that I haven't, you know, thrown out a snarky meme about them <laughs> here and there. I've had, you know, it's been, there've been frustrations, but uh, overall, I, you know, it, it, it's, it makes me so much money. You know, I'm not, I'm not considering uh, moving away from it at all. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, so, so in an effort, I was like, you know what, let's, let's just, finally run an experiment Let, let's run the exact same scans and you you know we'll each use our own settings you know as far as you know cost per pound to ship and, and you know if you put your prep fees and you know just do it how you normally do it you know to, to give us a good sample um but the data you know the 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 starting point will be exactly the same so um you know we ran a a, a walgreens uh sale page uh, you know, so we just, and the, the, the hyperlink was the exact same for all of us. Um, we ran the, uh, the BOGO buy one, get one free Walgreens page. And then I took 10 storefronts and we all extracted the ASINs from the exact same 10 stores and then ran that through a reverse search. And then, nice. so we did it the, with the setup was the one week. And then the second week we, we, um, we, we went over, we started the review. There's still a little bit of work to be done, but, uh, uh, we started the review process and, uh, you know, I mean, we're learning things about even setup, you know, like, like the, the one Walgreens search, the one member of the mastermind had, had the default setting to, uh, reverse search every store in TA automatically. That so, will, that'll take, that'll make things take some time. <laughs> right. So, so it took me five minutes, 57 seconds to, to run my Walgreens scan. It took her eight hours. You know, so, so it's like, but, but that was, that was uncovered through that, you know, so it's even just simple stuff like that, you know, it's like, all right, you know, um, you know, minor adjustments, but that's going to save a ton of scan minutes, you know? So, and then we're actually, we're able to look at, you know, how we set it up, what the difference is, you know, I got this many results. Uh, We were, and we also, part of it, we ran scans with different caches um, because I recently spent, finally spent some rubies um, and, and doubled my cash. So I, I oh, nice. went from a five day to a 10 day cash. Um, and in an effort to save scan minutes, you know, so that I can, you know, I needed more volume, you know, without, uh, well at the, the minimal cost. Um, mm-hmm. 
So I figured that was a good way to do it. So that confirmed, you know, how advan advantageous the 10 day cash is, you know, cause the, cause now you could compare, you know, the 10 storefronts, which was a lengthier search. We could actually look at scan time on a 10 day cash, a five day cash, a three day cash, you know, and, and compare, see how many more scan minutes we're using, you know, with, with the different settings and, um, I mean, I just a, a ton of stuff is getting uncovered, you know, and it's we haven't even gotten really gotten to the leads yet. <laughs> you know? Oh, like, that's awesome. We haven't, we haven't even pulled that, you know, but it, it, it's all just this kind of configuration data that, that we're pouring over. When you guys when you guys get that all figured out, I'm going to have some questions. I, I'm going to I don't I may want to sit in on on one of those and just be a fly on the wall or maybe ask a question here or there, because I've got some I've got some ideas. And I just want to see if they're confirmed or or. Uh, you know, you tell me, no, that's, that's wrong. <clears throat> yeah, no, we actually talked about that. Like, it, you know, this is, uh, there are a couple of things that, that, you know, we think we know, <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, we'd, we'd love to be able to bounce it off you. So yeah, we should yeah. definitely do that. Okay, perfect. All right. Rule number three, uh, be okay with sucking. Uh, this one doesn't necessarily feel the best either, but, uh, you know, when you first get started, uh, as you try to learn something new, it, you're gonna suck. It's just just the way it is, uh, and I'm one of those people who tends to get a little frustrated when I'm having some trouble learning something new, uh, as I think a lot of people probably are. But you, know, you didn't get up and just walk the first day you were born. Uh, you had to fall down a lot to become the uh, the proficient biped you currently are, uh, unless you're one of those people who trips over their own feet all the time. Um, you know, I'm I'm reminded of a of a story. Uh, when it comes to this one, uh, it happens to be about Lou Gehrig. Uh, Lou Gehrig, when he was in the minors, he had some he had some troubles, uh, and he you know, and most of, most of it was because he was nervous. He was trying to look good. He you know he wanted to do well, uh, and one of his teammates gave him a little bit of whiskey before one of their home games, calmed his nerves down, uh, and you know played pretty well, uh, but it started becoming uh, a little bit more of a problem throughout the season. And it was not every other game, but every single game, he was now taking a little nip from the whiskey bottle. Uh, and one of the coaches finally caught up to him and said, you know, man, you're, you're going to have to be okay with making these mistakes right now. He's like, because, you know, if you make it to the actual big leagues, like you're not going to be able to get away with this kind of stuff. It's not, you know, there are a little bit more rules and things like that in place. Uh, and he actually took it to heart and, and stopped drinking. Uh, and he was, you know, he said, okay, I'm going to be okay with sucking. And he had an error like every inning. And then all of a sudden there was only an error, maybe twice a game. And then, once a game and then, you know, once a month and, uh, and he got better and better over time. And of course became the, uh, the national hero he, you know, was and, and is now, uh, you know, but everybody sucks when they get started. And so you have to be okay with that to be able to overcome it and you got to stick with it long enough to overcome it. Um, so yeah, I think, I think a lot of people probably aren't willing to do that. And I think that's probably why, a lot of people who might have had good businesses on Amazon end up walking away because they're not okay with the, the learning part and thinking that this needs to be really, really fast when it's, it's, uh, it's not always. Yeah. A lot of things, um, <laughs> a lot of things in life, you have to fight, um, the, the desire for instant gratification. You know, it, it's the, those two systems in, in your brain, you know, um, there's a constant battle, um, I won't try one's the lipid system, right? I don't remember what the other one is, but, uh, you know, basically one, <laughs> one wants to do, you know, one wants the dopamine hit, you know, and the other one is, a um, a little bit more constructive, uh, with mm -hmm. his desires. So, um, you know, it, we have to fight it and we've talked about it, uh, with, you know, new sellers, I've mentioned it multiple times, you know, the, the people, it, it, people think that there's like this this stack that they need to buy right away as far as like tools go. And, you know, they think, and it's kind of a, uh, it's the seed of thinking that, okay, once I get all this, it's all going to click, you know, where it's, you know, they don't realize that it's, it's, it's just putting in the reps, you know, and mm -hmm. just, 
just get some, you know, just, just travel a little bit, you know, to where the point you get to the point where you can look back a little bit and say, okay, a month ago I was here. Now I'm here, you know, and then I love looking at the charts, you know, like I, even on the, the seller central app, you know, and you just, I take a look at, you know, the 12 month average or, you know, the uh, year to dates and, and all that. And I, you know, I compare as much as I can or my old, um, you know, my sourcing um, spreadsheets that I use, you know, I'll look back and okay, this time last year, what did I set as a goal? You know, like what, what how much in sales, how much did I want to source and stuff? And um, because I know personally, I, I, I set goals that I don't get too aggressive with, with them, you know, because I don't, you know, a series of missed goals, it, it could have a negative effect, you know, but they're, you know, I'll push it by a certain amount, but it, it I feel it's attainable mm -hmm. uh, overall, you know, so I think that's a good goal for my, my personality. So, so I'm able to look back on that, you know, and it's just, you, you got to get the reps. It's not instant, you know, and, and unfortunately it, it, this is anecdotal, but uh, you know, it feels like there's a, a segment of sellers coming into it. Uh, based on certain maybe social media platforms <laughs> that, uh, you know, people are kind of selling this as a get rich quick, you know, yeah. which, you know, is going to send, uh, you know, a bunch of people into this with the wrong mind frame. Um, so it, it, it takes some, it takes some discipline. It takes some, some monitoring, you know, to kind of keep that instant gratification at bay and, and realize that, that you just got to put, you know, just put the reps in, just, mm -hmm. you know, get the process, keep refining the process and, and, you know, the long run, you'll be better off for it. Yeah. Heck we can, we can just say it. I won't say that, you know, people aren't trying to push Amazon or, you know, eBay or, or anything, uh, as a get rich quick scheme, you know, on any social media platform, but the absolute worst is TikTok. Uh, <laughs> I, I absolutely despise when I get sucked into that uh, that app because someone sends me a funny video, uh, you know, I hate what it does to, to your attention span. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of the bad information comes because what are you going to tell anybody in, you know, 30 seconds, uh, about any business, let alone selling on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, so I'm so glad it was you that said it, not me. <laughs> I, 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 it makes us sound like, uh, you know, crotchety old, old men, uh, <laughs> yeah. get off my lawn with that TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's check the numbers on this podcast episode and, and see if there's a spike of people that, that <laughs> end, you know, ended the episode right there with a, with an okay boobers. Right. Ah, <laughs> oh, geez. Hey guys, wanted to take a quick second and thank you for listening to the Clear the Shelf podcast. My magnanimous co-host Chris Rasick has put together a gift for you for being a listener. It's called the Monthly Goal Tracking Spreadsheet and it's free. The spreadsheet will help you break down and track how much you've purchased, which should be a leading indicator of how much you will sell. And then you'll be able to track how much you've sold as well as your estimated monthly profit on a daily basis. This will all feed into the daily averages so you can sure that you're on track to meet your goals each and every month. Grab it for free today over at cleartheshelf.com forward slash goal dash tracking. Thanks again for being a listener. Now back to the show. So right, that's, uh, uh, you know, these two go together. Um, the next one we wanted to cover, uh, uh, the, uh, sorry, the, the fourth habit would be, um, impatient with action, patient with results. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so it's so certainly a compliment to the last one. Uh, you know, it's important to be aggressive both in action and patience. Um, you know, you put in the work, but uh, know that your efforts will likely not bear fruit for months or even years sometimes. And and you need to be okay with that. You know, you, you need to you need to realize the the farming aspect of it. You know, and, and you plan it, you do things the right way, um, but the payoff is down the road. Um, not unlike, tell me, tell me this isn't unlike the, uh, that weird thing that we're getting with the definition of passive income, mm -hmm. right? Have you, have you picked up on that? Like, like there's almost this like backlash of passive income, you know, and well, you know, people think it's zero effort, you know, and, and I know technically the terms, but it's, you know, true passive income that, that, you know, you read about in the headlines and, and you'll read, um, you know, in different techniques and methods and, and industries even, it, it's kind of it, it's income that you harvest later on. You know, mm -hmm. you, the, the workload's up front. 
and and then you know you're going to collect on the back end uh you know over a more gradual steady uh period of time afterwards yeah absolutely this is so this particular rule or habit came from that's a naval ravikant quote impatient with action patient with results uh 21st or yeah 21st century philosopher naval ravikant but uh, I like to call it aggressive patience. Uh, I like the, I like the dichotomy of that, but, uh, uh, yeah, this one, this one is really important, I think. Uh, and I think it's, uh, another reason why people absolutely get out of this business or any business really, uh, because unfortunately there's just no way to, there's no way to get the results people want, uh, without being a little bit patient. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it echoes, um, you know, the, the stoic, um, thought of, you know, being forgiving to others, mm -hmm. you know, but being, being real strict with yourself, you oh, know, like yeah. it's, you know, I, I think they're, they're siblings. Yeah. I would agree with that. Uh, number five is to take small calculated bets. This, this is probably one of my favorite things about Amazon or to be quite honest with really any online business. I mean, you know, we could, you and I could start a blog for what, 12, 15 bucks, uh, you know, whatever it costs to, to register a domain name and we could pick up a free theme and uh, things like that. Uh, you know, with Amazon, you don't have to invest five grand or 10 grand or 15 or 50 grand uh, to get started like a lot of business opportunities. I want to, I think the cheapest franchise that I'm aware of is $10,000 and that's, that's a Chick-fil-A. All right. But I mean, essentially you're really buying yourself a job. Uh, there is, you know, you've got to be there a certain number hours per week. Uh, they tell you when you can be open. They tell you when you have to close, uh, you know, and you can't own more than like one or two locations. Uh, you know, so you're, you're really locked in, uh, but with Amazon, I mean, you can essentially do whatever you want as long as you are following Amazon's rules. You know, you could start with cheap books. You can start with clearance items. Uh, you can grow it into, you know, a, a private label monster like anchor has done. Uh, you know, you get acquired by Amazon, like Roomba just did. They started out as a private label brand and. You know, now Amazon owns them, uh, you know, and, uh, you can start with a hundred bucks, you know, you can start with 50 bucks. Some people have started with no money and just sold things off their own bookshelves. Uh, you know, you can verify that the model works and then you can pour gasoline on that fire. And I don't know. There's just, there's not a lot of ways to do that, especially if you want a brick and mortar business or a local business. You know, if I wanted to start a, a lawn service here in Florida, uh, I'm going to need a truck, which fortunately I've already got, but I would need a trailer. I need, uh, some lawn mowers, some leaf blowers, some, you know, edgers. Uh, and I'm going to be in at least a few thousand dollars if I could find a pretty good deal on those things used. Uh, you know, I know that I started with a hundred dollars to get started on Amazon. Uh, so it's much, much easier to be able to take these small calculated bets on yourself. Now that making money online is, um, it's not the, uh, fairy tale it once was. <laughs> no, it's, it's easier, uh, than ever. And I, I started with $0. I started with, uh, my wife's old cell phone. You know, oh, nice. Sold that on Facebook Marketplace, kind of uh, parlayed it over and over from there. So, so yeah, you know, the, the flip side or another way to look at um, taking small calculated bets is, you know, it, it limits your risk as well. You know, you, you can kind of limit the, your exposure. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're famous for saying, you know, go um, an inch deep, but a mile wide, you know, and, and, you know, if you practice that strategy, you know, you, you're not really going to take a bath on, on anything, you know, it, it would, um, it would take a really bad series of events to, <laughs> you know, uh, for anything really bad to happen to you. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic model without, you know, without being a blog or, you know, having any writing skills or something that it, it's still supply and demand, 
you know, and, it, and it's still commerce. Um, yeah. But it's it's a you know, the, there's not a real difficult entry point or jumping in point to get products sourced by you one way or another and have more eyeballs than any other marketplace in the entire world on them. You know, I mean, it's an incredible opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's huge, especially the limiting your risk. Yeah, I and I like to think of it as, you know, we get to, we, we can place a chip on every single number on the roulette board, uh, you know, and they're not all wiped off every time the, the ball goes around the, uh, the wheel, uh, you know, but it, it does make you, I don't know. And all you've got to do is like win 70% of those, you know, well, heck you could probably, you'd probably come out on top if you won 60% of them, uh, you know, but then as you get better, you win 70 and hopefully 80% of them. And you know, the other 20% it's, yeah, it's a write-off, uh, you know, but it's not a, uh, uh, it's not something that's going to close your business down or, or, you know, ruin an entire quarter's profits, uh, because you went way too deep on a product. I, that is one of my favorite things, to be honest. Yeah, you know, we're going to get into it in, in a, a future episode a little bit more. But, um, you know, like when you start talking to people and, and people who are nervous about stuff or, you know, I mean, price tanking is still um, it, it's never going to go away. People are always going to be talking about it. But, you know, like when you kind of get into a, a, a bitch session and, and it's like, well, you know, and it's to the point where you're not sure you're going to buy something you know, because mm -hmm. you're afraid. I mean, you just have to know that things are going to tank everything, you know, the, the profitability of everything uh, on Amazon for the most part is finite. You know, it, it there's a, there's a lifespan and it's going to sunset and it's going to end. Um, yeah. And you have to realize that, you know, and, and so being able to take smaller bets and more of them, you know, like you said, that's, that's a good analogy. You know, you're, you're basically covering, uh, the entire roulette table, you know, and, and, uh, with better odds and no zero and double zero, those pesky little, uh, slots on the wheel. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, that, that is, that is a, a really good conversation to have one, maybe in a future episode, but there are, there are a couple of things, you know, there's either, there's a finite amount of time that something can stay profitable because if it's popular enough, I mean, Supply and demand is just going to come into play on everything. If an item is popular enough, the supply is going to go up. And because demand can only go so high, you know, eventually the price is going to have to come down. The price is going to have to get depressed, uh, you know, once supply heats a, hits a peak. Uh, you know, and then, of course, it may come back. Supply may dwindle and demand could stay the same or demand could diminish along with the supply, uh, you know, and so the prices are always going to do something like that. But then the other thing that's finite is the amount of time that something is going to be able to be sold on Amazon. Uh, you know, whether it's because the company doesn't make it anymore or people just don't want it any longer, uh, you know, and that's why you've always got to get new stuff. And, yeah, that would be an interesting conversation to have maybe with some numbers breakdown of products that have been around for a, a while, you know, and also to see the peaks and valleys, uh, you know, yeah, but that's for another episode. <clears throat> yeah, so we're, uh, we're on to the, uh, the sixth habit of uh, highly effective Amazon sellers. Uh, this one is extremely important, in my opinion, uh, commit every day. Um, I was just thinking about this earlier today, actually. Um, you know, it's pretty easy to get started, like we said. Um, and, uh, of course, motivation is at its peak right in the beginning. Um, but that motivation could disappear just as quickly. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't take much to, to sap, the, you know, the, the gusto uh, that you walk into this with. Um, so it's important to, to commit to your goals every day and, and ruthlessly go after them. Um, and, and what I was thinking about earlier today was, uh, you know, thinking about, doing stuff, uh, even when you feel like you don't want to, you know, or even when you, you really don't, you know, you really don't have the motivation to do it, you know, kind of forcing yourself to do the stuff, uh, regardless, you know, and that, that's, uh, 
I can't think of any quotes or, or you know, directly, but I know I've read it a couple of different times in, in, in different versions of it, you know, but the, it basically talks about the most successful people are the most consistent, you know, and that entails doing things even when you don't feel like doing it and don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. There's, so I'm, I'm sort of in the middle of this right now. I'm on day number 10 of a, of a cycling streak where I, I ride the, you know, I ride a bike outside every single day. Uh, you know, even though the, even though the sun bad and it hurts when I, uh, look at that yellow orb and come outside of my office, <laughs> uh, you know, but I'm on day 10 and, and I, like, I've got to commit to this every single morning, uh, because I'm, I'm at that point where, <clears throat> uh, my legs are starting to get really sore. You know, I wake up in the morning, I'm like, man, that's, you know, it'd be really easy <clears throat> to say, maybe we take a day off and give the legs one extra day of, of rest, but no, I, I've got to commit to it every single morning when I wake up to get back on the saddle, back out for the ride, uh, because it will fulfill my long-term goal. Uh, and I'm, I'm to that point where motivation is waning. You know, first day it feels great. Second day it's awesome. Uh, you know, but I'm no longer getting the dopamine hit from just hopping on the saddle. Uh, and I'm not sure if I'm riding long enough to get, I don't even know if bikers high is a thing. I know runners high is, uh, right. you know, but, uh, but that, you know, we could talk about the motivation myth and how it's not really, you know, uh, motivation only lasts for so long. And then it's your systems that are, you know, have to take over, uh, or things have to become habits and, and. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of books out there that talk about this, uh, you know, but you do, you've got to, you got to kind of set that goal and then you've got to let go of the goal and you've got to focus on the systems that are going to get you to that goal. Uh, and you've got to commit to it every single day because it's really easy to say, well, I'm not going to source today, uh, because I've already spent my budget for the week. Uh, and then maybe that turns into a, well, I'm going to go for a little three day holiday, uh, and not source for these three days, you know, and then you pay for it when you're like, oh crap, why do my sales suck? Oh, I took those days off and now I'm paying for it. Uh, you know, just like I'll pay for it in two or three years if I don't get on the bike tomorrow. So yeah, that's yeah. a, that's a big one. Uh, the, the last and final one, number seven is, is don't lie to yourself. Uh, I am guilty of this on occasion. Uh, you know, the, <laughs> the weight on my driver's license, I didn't just lie to myself. I, I lied to the government on that one too. Uh, you know, but I thought I was telling the truth, uh, but no, you, you need to know your numbers. Uh, that one's really, really important because a lot of people who, you know, especially in cash flow businesses, uh, you know, everything feels good. Credit cards getting paid, but margins may not be what you think they are. And so it's really important not to, not to lie to yourself about that. You know, even if it hurts, there's always a way to fix it. Uh, be willing to pivot if you need to, you know, it's the, one of the great things about this type of business and a lot of solopreneur businesses is that you do have the ability to pivot so quickly. Uh, you don't have to wait for a board or some bureaucracy to, to rule, uh, you know, in your favor, you are the board and you are the bureaucracy. Uh, so you get to pivot as quickly as you want. Um, and that can be things like cutting off bad inventory. Uh, it could be things like, uh, changing your repricing structure. Uh, you know, we could go on and on, but it's really important not to lie to yourself about your business or your weaknesses or your strengths or anything like that. Uh, it's just going to make fixing it worse later on down the road because, you know, we go back to those, those 1% gains, you know, over the course of a year, that's like 37 X. If you just get 1% better every day. Now, if you get 1% worse every single day, it's not quite as bad, you know, uh, over, over the long term. I want to say it's like a 10% decrease, you know, but you compound that over a long enough time period. Uh, because you've been lying to yourself and not being honest about something. And then it becomes a really big issue to fix down the road. Um, you know, and I mean, in a past life, I have done this, 
you know, pretty bad or have had really big mistakes to clean up. Uh, and it was, you know, it was, that was not a, uh, that was not a fun thing to do in, you know, uh, in a past life. And, uh, it took a long time to be able to dig out of the hole that I dug for myself because I just was not being honest with, with myself. So, yeah, and that's, uh, you know, it's important. Number one, you know, think about this, like, you know, if you actually know your numbers and, and, um, you know, really kind of dig into them and, and really find out the truth, because if, if they look good, if you're only looking at them from one perspective and, and they look better than they actually are, you know, not only obviously is that, that bad, you know, on, on the surface, but, you know, think about it's going to bring, you know, if, you, if you're prone to kind of settling into a comfort zone, you know, it's going to bring that about sooner. Um, and then, you know, the other part about this, you know, uh, so it'll help. It, and the flip side, it will help with motivation, too. You know, obviously, uh, before you get in your comfort zone, you know, you want I mean, you want to keep keep the motivation up and, and, and keep your drive. Um, you know, another reason why it's important to know the numbers. But, uh, um, you know, the other part of it, which we've mentioned before, is this this type of business, you're, you're in charge of everything, you know, you, you wear all the hats and something that I've found personally was, and, and I've mentioned it before, we've talked about it. Um, yeah, it's kind of like, okay, I, I want to, you know, I'm going to be my own boss. I'm leaving the rat race. I'm quitting. I'm going full time. It's great. All my time is my own, you know, and, and you say that like, it's a, you know, a, a dream come true, right? Uh, there's a romantic quality to it. And that, but, then you get in like your first few days and it's like, okay, this is what I do now. And you go, you know, you look at your whole day and you look at your list of processes, you know, especially in the beginning, you don't have any, <laughs> it's mm. like, so yeah, your, your entire day is your own. And guess what? You got to figure out how to fill it up. You know, <laughs> like you got to know what you're going to do when you're going to do it, how long it's going to take even, you know? Um, and the one thing that I have problems with, is there, there, you know, there's so much and, and I don't have strong enough processes or at least firm enough, you know, boundaries or, you know, like the, the, I need to put bumpers up, like, like the kids bowling alley, you know, um, because there's so much different stuff and, and, but then I'm learning on top of it. So I'm throwing new things in there too. It's easy for certain things to get lost, you yep. know, and, and if I don't do them, for so long, I'm, I'll completely forget. And then I have to, you know, either relearn it if I've, that is, if I realize that I've forgotten to do it in a while, you know, it's like, depending on what the task is, you know, but think about different sourcing methods, you know, I mean, how many, how many dozens of different sourcing methods and, and tactics and strategies, you know, could you rattle off, you know, say you have 15, if you made a list, do you do all 15 on a regular basis? No. Uh, you know, I don't, I mean, if you do, that's, that's great. I mean, sell me a, sell me an e-course or something. Um, you know what I mean? But it's like, there's, there's so much to do. It's easy for stuff to get lost, you know, and, and, and the more, you know, the, the more organized that you are and, and, you know, how it relates to this is the more truthful you are about your processes and, and about every part of your business, you know, the better off you'll, you'll be. Absolutely. Yeah, I think this may be one of the biggest ones because it is it is really easy to kind of pull the wool over our own eyes, you know, and yeah, sales are going up, you know, everything's everything's fine. And, you know, seems like cash flow is good. And, uh, you know, yeah. I'm not stressed out or anything. And uh, and unfortunately, that can be, you know, we take off those rose colored sunglasses and uh, it's not not so nice. So. Well, you, you know, think about it from a, a productivity aspect too. you know, lying to yourself, because that gets into like uh, the concept of future self, mm -hmm. you know, like the future me is a badass. Like he does so much stuff because I push so much stuff off on, him. you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, you, you know, you talk about like talking about taking that day off of, of cycling, you know, it's like, man, my legs hurt. You know, I had a, I had a little elbow issue, you know, and I, I, I was dealing with, you know, because I'm trying to, to go to the gym, you know, and it's like man, you know, the elbows barking at me and, and you're right. It's, it's easy to say, uh, you know, a healing day is probably a smart thing to do. You know, it's like, but you know, and then you, you know, you kind of say to yourself, like, 
well, you know, I'll just go tomorrow, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's, there's such a disconnect between our present selves and our future self. And if anyone out there has a definitive book about future self, uh, please let me know in the comments somewhere, uh, because I'd love to read, I'm fascinated by the concept because, I don't know, maybe because I abuse it so much, but, you know, it's, it's, we put so much on our future selves, you know, and, and, it, and it's like, I don't know. I buy into it too mm-hmm. easily. Like I'm a, I'm a sucker for it, you know, just oh, say, yeah. well, you know, I'll do this today and I'll just get to get to that. You know, how many, uh, you know, shipments did I did went to UPS a day late, you know, because, uh, because I had that conversation that, you know, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to watch this movie again, or I'm going to watch another episode of, of whatever show I'm watching. And I'll, you know, I'll just pack it up and ship it tomorrow. Oh, absolutely. That's lost. I, revenue. I, I mean, I, I, I can't even number the, the amount of shipments or the number of blog posts or social media posts or, you know, whatever it's supposed to be, uh, YouTube videos. I mean, there are dozens, if not hundreds, uh, you know, that got put off to, my future self who must be the most stressed out person, uh, <laughs> you know, ever. Cause he's got so much laying on his shoulders. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, all right, let's, so let's, let's close up this episode with a, uh, with a quote, uh, as we, uh, well, are want to do, uh, but the quote this week comes from Stephen Covey. He's the author of seven habits of highly effective people. And I want to say, leaders and CEOs and and all kinds of uh, different versions of that book. But uh, his quote is, habit is the intersection of knowledge or what to do, skill, how to do it, and desire, want to do. And that's by Stephen Covey. Uh, If you've never read that book, it's probably one of the first self-help books I ever read. It It is a good book, a little old school, but but a classic, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's it for this, uh, this week, Chris, I appreciate you hanging out again, man. Uh, yeah, good to see you, man. we are going to be, we're going to be back next week. Uh, not a hundred percent sure if it'll be just us or if we've got a guest, uh, but we do have a, a guest we need to make up with, uh, due to the, the weather, uh, delay. And we're going to do that pretty soon. That's going to be a really good episode about bookkeeping. Uh, and, uh, and then I think we might have some spooktacular, uh, ideas coming uh, coming out for a Halloween episode. So uh, make sure to uh, to come back and watch the uh, episodes coming up. We appreciate you guys listening. If you could do us a huge solid, make sure to like the video, uh, leave a comment or uh, a review wherever you might be listening to this because uh, it does help us and it keeps us coming back and making these shows consistently. Appreciate you guys. Have a great day and uh, hope you guys uh, absolutely crush it uh, in Q4. Thanks for listening to Clear the Shelf with Chris and Chris. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a screenshot on your phone and share to Facebook, Instagram, or your favorite FBA group. And be sure to tag me and let me know why you liked it and what you'd like to hear more from us in the future. Also, I'd like to give you some free gifts for listening. Head over to rabbittrailchallenge.com and repricerchallenge.com for some free courses to further your business. Thanks for listening.